We all have a choice. Will I be ruined by regret or rise above it? Regret comes in all forms. We can all think of missed opportunities or loss. Maybe because of our choices or from the choices of others. But there is one who is at work within us. He takes our brokenness and makes us whole. He builds us. He restores us. Let us keep our eyes and heart on him because he is guiding us on the road back from regret. Great to have everybody here today as we uh, kick off Thanksgiving week. There's so much to be thankful for, even as we talk about regret and uh, think about some of the challenges and difficulties in life. uh, We also know that there is just so much to be thankful for in Christ Jesus. Hey, uh, a little later, I'm going to talk a bit about our uh, team that just came back and our work that uh, we just wrapped up in Sumba, Indonesia. But uh, right now, I just want to uh, say this so I don't forget. We've got tables out in the lobby, both in the chapel and also in the, uh, the main lobby out here. If you're interested in one of our Global Church Outreach Missions trips uh, for uh, 2023, or if you'd like to support a child, many of you support, sponsor a child uh, at the House of Hope in Sumba, $25, $50 a month. Uh, we would love to uh, talk to you about that. So just stop by the table uh, in one of the lobbies here today. Well, a big shout out to everybody online and uh, everybody in the chapel, as well as everybody here in the main worship center. You, each and every one of you, are just a, a real important part of the BCA family. We just thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your commitment. We've been in this series walking through the book of Nehemiah from a different perspective uh, than uh, I've ever done before, and that is with kind of the major overarching theme of regret. How did Nehemiah work through his own personal regret? And uh, we've, we've been talking about that, and today we look at uh, step number seven as we do that. You know, uh, coming back from a hardship or a challenge is, is never quite linear. It's more of a jagged line like we see on this slide. Let's go ahead and put that little visual up. Uh, you know, we wished it was kind of just straight up, onward, upward, everything's kind of smooth and sailing and all arrows pointing up. But, uh, you know, most of us understand that it's more of a zigzag, you know, three steps forward, two back, and it's all over the place. You know, to this point, someone sent me a, a video that I want to show you right now uh, that kind of illustrates this. Some of you maybe have seen this. But, uh, you know, this guy's walking up the stairs, and uh, he illustrates beautifully the whole idea of you take three steps forward, but you may go two back. And if anybody understood, it was Nehemiah, and uh, certainly we do uh, as well. You know, regrets are not only just what happened to us, but what didn't happen that we wished happened. You know, uh, regrets kind of are many size. Some are really, really big. Some are really, really small. Uh, but regrets are something that every one of us experience. Regrets are what make us human. This guy's having a lot of fun, isn't he? Uh, You know, if I were to do this over again, I would actually be doing this personally in front of you all, Uh, and I think it would be great. I might break my neck, but uh, it'd still be fun (laughs) to look at. Uh, It's over in about uh, 20 seconds, but But I thought it was a great, great picture of uh, really what we've been talking about. Uh, Nehemiah decided, I'm not going to stay stuck in the ruins and the rubble of my personal regret, a broken down, 
destroyed Jerusalem. I'm going to rebound, I'm going to rebuild from my regret. And the point we've been talking about throughout this entire series, if we would boil it down to one, one major theme, is that is, as followers of Jesus Christ, there is nothing in life, nothing, nothing that we can do to ourselves, others can do to us, that happen to us, that we cannot rise above in the power of Christ. Now, we can't do it on our own, and it's not going to be pain-free, but in Christ, all things are possible. If you believe that, say a big amen. amen. And so that's really the underlying theme of this entire, entire series. We've been looking here uh, for the last uh, couple of months about uh, how to overcome negative emotions and painful experiences. And just to recap it for those that might be brand new here today, uh, we've looked at these seven different steps so far. The first one, Nehemiah in chapter one realized, you know, what we're going through is really, really bad and something's got to change. And there needs to become a realization that, uh, you know, what we're living in or allowing to uh, continue is not good. There needs to be a change. And then he repented. Not every regret is a result of sin, but in this case it was. And Nehemiah repented of his own sin, the re- repented of the sins of uh, all of the Israelites, and uh, made, made peace with God uh, through repentance and confession. And then he decided that recovery was worth the risk. And so he went to the king and he asked for permission and we walked through that whole part of the story. And it's a major part. He decided to risk everything to do the God thing. And I think that's profound. And then uh, week number four, we talked about rebounding and, and we talked about the recovery plan that Nehemiah created for his story. And we talked about the recovery plan we may need for our story. You know, maybe you uh, are uh, at odds with someone, and part of the plan is you need to go to them, and you need to confess, uh, you know, your wrongs and and, and try to build a bridge of reconciliation. Uh, You know, whatever the situation is, there needs to be a plan. And then he put in the work. He, He did the rebuilding process, and brick by brick, section of wall by section of wall, hung gate by hung gate, he rebuilt that, and it was a process. It was a journey. And then last week we talked about resolving to overcome opposition. To say that Nehemiah didn't face a ton of opposition would be to miss basically the whole story. Uh, He had one thing after another, and then once he gets there and he starts doing the work, his political enemies come at him and basically discourage all of his workforce and try to wipe him out, and uh, that was last week. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the importance of refocusing. And the whole idea is there comes a time where we need to decide, are we going to continue to wallow in the ruins and the, rumble, uh, and the rubble of our own problems and difficulties, or are we going to rise up from that at some point, and are we going to move forward and start focusing on how we can be a blessing to other people? Are we going to be so focused on ourselves and our problems for the rest of our life, or are we going to work through a time of healing and recovery that's necessary, important, and vital, get input and help from uh, spiritual leaders, professional people, God's word, prayer, you know, all that's available to us. And at some point in time, move beyond that and begin to share what we've learned and bless people around us. That's what I want us to think about here today. Now, if you're brand new, we've talked about these three books, and really, it's the subtitle of these books that uh, continue to uh, draw me to put them back on the screen. The Power of Regret, 
uh, talks about a, uh, a regret survey that uh, surveyed 105 countries and thousands and thousands of respondents, how looking backward moves us forward, the choice uh, about Edie Ager at age 16, she was taken to Auschwitz, embraced the possible, and bittersweet, how sorrow and longing make us whole, just a book full of stories of human resiliency and people overcoming. And I look at those books that are not Christian books per se, and I say to myself, if people can rise above it in their own strength and the help of others, how much more as followers of Jesus Christ with the very power that raised Christ from the dead in us, how much more can we rise above? That's the challenge, and that's the hope, and that's the promise in Christ and I know many in our church family have gone through so much pain and difficulty, and so many have overcome and risen above and really have lived out the very lesson that we're uh, teaching each week. And uh, I will say what I've said several times already in this series. If you were to ask me, Rob, as a pastor, in your experience, what is the one thing that derails Christians more than anything else? I would say outside of sin and just blatant disobedience to God would be the inability to rise above regret. Problems, pain, adversity, use whatever words you want, but just the ability to rise above that and, and move forward and, and to put into practice scriptures like James 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy when you face problems of many kinds because those problems will develop perseverance and maturity and so on and so forth. That to me is the thing that I pray God helps all of us get much stronger at. Now, um, we talked about the World Regret Survey in the past. I, I've often kind of uh, boiled these four down into even three simpler ones. When I think of the regrets that we all have, it's, it's things that we do to ourselves, missed opportunity, bad choices, things other people do to us, you know, offenses, disrespect, you know, uh, all those kinds of things. And then things that happen to us, you know, natural disasters and other problems, disease, et cetera, et cetera. There are many different types and forms of regret, but oftentimes they can appear in these three categories. Nehemiah faced the regret of a destroyed kingdom and a captive people. They were taken as prisoners, political prisoners. It started with the 10 northern kingdoms in 722 when the Assyrians came in and lapped up the 10 northern kingdoms, the 10 tribes. And then there in 586, the Babylonians came in and destroyed the two southern kingdoms. Uh, tribes, took out Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, uh, took people captive. And it was there in five, uh, 430 BC that Nehemiah said, listen, if things are going to get better, I'm going to have to do my part and I need to go back and I need to rebuild the wall. He felt God was calling him to go back and rebuild the wall. And it's worth repeating what I've said over and over again. Back in those days, a city without a wall was no city at all. Because if you couldn't protect yourself, your, your wives and children were exposed to the enemy. Your livelihood was certainly in jeopardy. Uh, certainly the temple would be uh, ruined again, your ability to worship the way you want to. You just couldn't protect yourself. Enemies were everywhere, and when they saw a gap in a wall, they were going to come through, and they were going to do you in. So Nehemiah's uh, story is more than a construction story. It was a story of survival. Everybody experiences regret. I know we see these slogans that say, you know, no regret. And the bravado is endearing and, you know, all that's good. But, but there's no such thing as living a whole life without regret. We miss opportunities. We do things we wish we didn't. Things happen to us we wish didn't. Uh, you know, uh, it's not only, you know, what we did, but what we didn't do we could have done. 
And so regrets are part of being human. It's what we do with them that really matters and really is what we're talking about. I've used the story of Edie Ager uh, each week just a little bit, kind of using her as kind of a, a launch pad for applying some of these faith principles to her own life. And of course, as I said earlier, she's the 16-year-old that was taken to Auschwitz. And, you know, she tells, uh, you know, her story about how for years and years her trauma kept reinforcing her sense of unworthiness. Ever felt unworthy? She felt it for years and years and years. She says, to be free in the present means you choose not to be stuck in the past. Can I hear a big amen? That's good preaching right there. It's like she was listening in to our uh, first six weeks of this series. That's the idea. To be free in the present means you choose not to be stuck in the past. Not, if only I had gone there instead of here, or if only I had done this instead of that. You know, when we say that and believe that, we become prisoners of the past. And then she goes on to say, if we're always saying, if this happens or that happens, I'll find true happiness, then we become a prisoner of the future. She says the key is to find peace in the present, to find healing and wholeness in the present. Calamity can grow us. Those things can cause us to reassess, readdress, make changes, review our values and our principles for living. I thought this was profound. She says, forgiveness is something my fellow survivors taught me. You can live to avenge the past or you can live to enrich the present. I thought that was profound because no one here is untouched by relational pain. We all understand that. We have a choice to make. Are we going to forgive or not? All of us survivors had one thing in common. We had no control over what happened to us in the past, but we did have control with how we're going to deal with it in the present and going forward. We can choose to be our own jailers or we can choose to be set free. Well, Edie and Nehemiah both experienced kind of a common thing where there came a point where they knew they had to stop focusing on their own stuff and begin to focus on other people. They both chose to rise above their own ruin and get back on the, uh, on the road from regret. Edie took her eyes off of herself, her plight, her problems, became a psychologist, psychotherapist, a people helper, and devoted eventually the rest of her life to helping other people. Really a cool part of her story. And Nehemiah, of course, as we know from Scripture, left the comforts of his environment to go serve people to build the wall, and then once he was there, he had to kind of set aside the wall building for a moment to deal with an economic crisis and care for the poor. He had multiple times where he had to kind of set aside his own thing to focus on others. And it's this idea of refocusing that I want us to think about for a moment. Refocus. Get clarity. Focus on what we need to focus. You know, there, there are things in life that can completely stymious, divorce, loss, death, crisis, injustice, financial ruin, relationship problems, family problems. I could go on. You could add to that list as easily as me. This past Wednesday night, I uh, was talking to one of uh, my brothers here in the church, uh, you know, brother in Christ in the church, and uh, just visiting a little bit, and uh, and lo and behold, in our conversation, uh, we're talking about the terrible, 
terrible story in Idaho where the four murders happened to the college students. And he reminded me that his daughter knew all four. I mean, she went there, and I said, oh, man. He called him by name. I said, I am sorry I didn't call you when this first hit. It just didn't resonate with me at the time. I was just caught up in the story itself. And uh, make a long story short, you know, we bowed, we prayed, and, uh, you know, tears were rolling down his face. And I know what he was thinking. That could have been my daughter. It's the same feeling I had when, uh, you know, 13 service uh, personnel, servicemen, women, uh, were killed by the bomb in Afghanistan. And uh, my son was at the very gate, you know, the day before. And you just think, you know, life could be totally different than it is. And your heart breaks for those families that lose their loved ones. There's just a, a lot of things in life that can paralyze us emotionally and every other way. And so the reality is you talk to every uh, psychologist, psychotherapist, people that are uh, uh, students of, of those things, are well-learned, academic, uh, you know, have the degrees. They would give good advice and say, you know, we need to focus on our own stuff and get healed. And I would agree with that. We need to get healed. We need to find healing and wholeness. We need, to, we need to work through with the help of professionals, other people, spiritual guidance, whatever. We need to find healing with our own issues. But there must come a time, I believe, and I think you would agree, there must come a time where we don't stay stuck wallowing in the ruins and rubble of our own stuff, but we finally move to a place where we can begin to focus on other people. Because if we stay stuck forever and ever and ever, we're not going to be any good to our families. We're not going to be any good to our uh, fellow citizens. We're not going to be good to our work associates. We're not going to be any good to anybody. There comes a, And it may take a long time. It took three and a half decades before Edie was able to force herself to go back to Auschwitz and finally deal with everything. It may take a long time. It may take a shorter amount of time. But whatever it is, at some point, we do need to be able to refocus from self to others. And that's what Nehemiah did. And that's what we need to do. Because we can become too entrenched in our own plight and problems. We can become codependent on our own regret and issues. We can stunt our own healing and growth. We can become self-centered. We can choose, without knowing it, to be a victim. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That means I can work through my regret, find healing, and find wholeness in Jesus Christ. Victor Frankl was another Holocaust survival and a mentor to Edie that we've been talking about. He wrote a book that I remember reading in college entitled Man's Search for Meaning. And he said this, being a Holocaust survivor... He says, it did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. In other words, once we got out of there and kind of moved forward, a lot of our dreams and hopes had been shattered. But at the end of the day, that's not the most important thing. It's not what we thought we should have had or what life should have been. It's more of what can we contribute to life. Now, that is a place of maturity and growth and healing and recovery that I pray all of us can find. Nehemiah was on the road back from regret. He was rebuilding the wall. His workers were getting weary and discouraged. The political enemies were just outside the wall, pounding them with uh, you know, uh, emotional 
uh, and other uh, forms of terrorism, if you will. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 5, he faces an economic crisis and the poverty and uh, you know, the number of people that uh, were experiencing a famine and destitute was overwhelming. And he did three things that I think are a powerful, powerful faith lesson for those of us today that want to kind of pull out from the pain of our stuff and move forward at the right time in the right way. How do we do that? How many have ever been stuck in the snow? Let me see your hand out there. How many have ever been stuck in the mud or some other kind of stuckness? Uh, you know, take a look at this uh, visual here. You got some people stuck. Uh, anybody ever been there? You know, uh, back in the day, you know, we would go hunting a lot, and I think we spent more time getting stuck than we did anything else. And you need to winch your way out, or you need someone to pull you out, but, you know, you don't want to stay stuck. That's not the goal. You want to get out of there. And uh, I think it's a little bit analogous to life in this sense, that we can get stuck in, in our pain, our trauma, our hurt, and I don't uh, belittle that at all. I'm just saying that's kind of real. It's easy to become obsessed and a bit overwhelmed and be like a hamster on a wheel. And that's the only thing we think about over and over, day after day, week after week, month after month. But somehow, some way, at some point, we need to get pulled out of that so we can move on with life and eventually be a blessing to other people. Because we can learn a lot through our hurt that we can share a lot with others. And that's the goal. But how do we get pulled out? How do we get unstuck? I think Nehemiah shows us three things. The first one is this. He had to set aside his agenda, and to me this is the principle of willful choice. He purposely decided to downshift and say the wall project, I'm setting that aside for a while. I'm going to focus on you people in front of me that are afraid for your lives and are being treated with great injustice. Chapter one, verse, 5, verse 1 says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against the fellow Jews. Some are saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous, and in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others say we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get uh, grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money and we're paying such heavy taxes. And then others said, um, we've had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. I mean, Nehemiah is sitting there going, hello, run that by me one more time. You got people without land that have no land to raise their own grain, their own food, and so they are, are absolutely destitute without any food whatsoever. You've got landowners that have had to mortgage up to their eyebrows, and so they have no cushion or margin to, to make a living. Uh, and then on top of that, people are being taxed to the hilt, and uh, exorbitant usury is being assessed and that's wrong, and that's unbiblical, and that's not going to work. And then, can you believe this? In that day, in that culture, if you couldn't pay your debts, you had to basically give your children as slaves to pay for your debts. Hello? Nehemiah says, there's a problem here. The wall's going to have to wait. I'm going to set that aside for a season so I can focus on this. And I think that is a powerful, powerful faith lesson for us to think about. 
He set aside his agenda to help people in need. How often do we set aside our agenda to help others in need? We must. We must. And it's one of the ways to pull us out of being self-preoccupied with our own issues. At the right time, in the right way, we must get to that point. And maybe you're at kind of the cusp of that point right now. You're going through a really hard time, but you're saying to yourself, God, I need your help. I want to start now moving beyond that. I want to start getting out there. I want to be a blessing. You know, I've been bruised and beaten up for uh, long enough. Now it's a time where I'm going, to be a bl- I'm going to move forward in the power of Christ. I can't do it on my own, Lord. I need your help. But you're willing, and you're able, and I'm willing, and I'm counting on your ability to help me now move. It requires a willful choice. Where can you serve, and where can you help? Maybe, practically, you want to start by adopting a family this, this holiday season. You know, we are just swamped, swamped. You know, the, the boat's going to, you know, be flipped over here pretty soon at the Bethany Compassion Center. There's so many needs in our community, so many people struggling financially, you know, food prices, all of that. It's just really, really small. Maybe you want to adopt a family. Maybe you want to serve uh, at the BCC or serve in our community. Maybe you want to serve in your local church. Yeah, let me tell you this. One of my great, great prayers and dreams is that God will raise up a great army of children's teachers, all right? Children's teachers, so that on January 8th, we can really institute what we really, really want to do here and have at 9 o'clock a great Bible class for all of our kids, Sunday school, teaching them the Word of God, you know, verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, book by book. Maybe you've been kind of saying, well, everybody else is doing that, but right now you say, you know, I want to think about that. And if you have any interest in working with kids, Email me directly. Talk to me in the lobby after church directly. Uh, let me know about it directly. I'm, I'm diving in to help rebuild some of our teaching teams. And at 9 o'clock, if, if you'd be open to doing something like that, I feel God would uh, like to use you in that way. I want to encourage you. L- listen, some of you youth, listen to this. When I was 17 and 18, I taught third grade Sunday school at my church in Arlington. And none of those kids joined the Italian mob. None of them. I didn't wreck any of them. In fact, one of my brothers was in there, and I take personal credit for every good thing in his life. The bad things are bad parenting. That's up to his mom and dad. But uh, listen, you're not too young and you're not too old. You say, I want to help. We're building teams. We want to put you on that team. Uh, you do need to love Jesus, okay? But uh, uh, other than that, uh, I want you to think about that. You know, the bigger, the bigger question, that's a major thing on my heart, but the bigger thing is, where is God wanting to use me to serve and be a blessing? Where does he want to use me to be a blessing? How can I set aside my agenda for a season and willfully choose to put others first? Nehemiah was already you could argue, putting others first by rebuilding the wall to protect everybody. But he even had to put that aside to take on something more urgent, more immediate. You know, in some ways, kind of more impactful at that particular point in time. So we we focus off self, refocus off self onto others. We set aside the principle of willful choice. The second is to get involved. That's a principle of active engagement. What's interesting to me here is that Nehemiah listens to the pain and the problems of of, of the poor and the oppressed and, and the injustice. He listens, but that wasn't enough. 
It's one thing to hear. It's one thing to listen. It's another thing to engage and do something about it. And that's the next step. So if I want to get pulled out of my, uh, you know, the ditch of, uh, of my despair, you know, pulled out of the snow or the mud of my, my stuckness, uh, one of the ways is to refocus by setting aside uh, my will to focus on the needs of others, and then secondly, get involved in the lives of others and help proactively in some way, shape, or form. That's what Nehemiah did. Verse 7, he pondered all of this in his mind, and then he accused the nobles and officials. He basically got in the face uh, of his fellow uh, you know, Jewish leaders, and he said, hey, what you're doing is really, really bad. You're charging your own people interest. Um, you know, uh, as far as possible, we bought these people back, and, and, and now, you know, you're selling them back into slavery. What's wrong with you people? Uh, they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. He says, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and avoid this kind of reproach? Uh, stop charging interest. You know, give them back their fields. You know, allow people to be able to eat. They said, we will give it back. And then in verse 13, he says this that I think is really interesting. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions. Anyone who does not keep this promise. That, that was uh, symbolic of making an oath or a vow. In other words, we are going to focus on other people. We're going to take care of one another. We are going to be compassionate. We're going to be loving. Uh, we're going to stand for justice and kindness and mercy. That's what he's saying here. So they all did it. And they said, amen. And they said, we're going to do this. Notice Nehemiah's kind of three emotions he's going through. First, there's outrage, and then engage, and then courage. See what I did there? How many are impressed with that great usage of words? Some of you need to appreciate that a lot more than you do. But he's outraged. But it doesn't stop there. He's not just all volume. He gets engaged. He tries to build some bridges and reconcile some differences and correct some wrongs and get people moving in a better direction. And that took some courage. He engaged. He jumped in. St. Francis of Assisi said, for it is a giving that we receive. Uh, Leo Tolstoy said, the sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get and we make a life by what we give. The great theologian Goldie Hawn, how many know the great theologian Goldie Hawn? Uh, she said something good here, listen to this. Giving back is as good for you as it is for those you're helping because giving gives you purpose and when you have a purpose-driven life, you're a happier person, I think that's true. Out of the University College of London, I thought this was interesting in response to a question, what are the benefits of serving others? This is what they wrote. Helping others feels good, creates a sense of belonging, gives you a sense of purpose. Uh, giving helps keep things in perspective. It's contagious. It helps, uh, uh, helping others can help you live longer. Uh, gives you a sense of renewal, selfless, builds your self-esteem, uh, allows you to become a half-full type person. Yeah, I thought that was, was true in many, many ways. You know, this picture jumped out to me trying to illustrate this. You know, there are two sides uh, with a chasm in between. There's intention and engagement. I mean, how many people have died at the altar of good intentions? Good intentions are one thing, but doing something with those is another thing. We got to somehow build a bridge from good intentions over to engagement. 
And if you find yourself coming out of a deep valley of regret, if you find yourself working through a problem, a challenge, a disappointment, pain, if you find yourself wanting to kind of pull out of the stuckness of that and and you're ready now to move forward, I just want to encourage you to follow the Nehemiah plan. You know, set aside, you know, willfully choose to, to put others' agenda in front of your own, your own, and then proactively engage somehow, some way in meeting the needs of other people. There's something powerful about getting our mind off of ourselves and onto other people. And Nehemiah shows us the way. Finally, we need to give away. That's the principle of selfless giving. It's one thing to set aside our agenda. It's another thing to then get involved in helping others. And then it's another thing to be a generous, sacrificial giver, to really take that step where we're giving sacrificially. Notice here in verse 14, moreover from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, 12 years, Nehemiah served as governor of Judah for, tw- uh, for two terms, and the first was 12 years. That's what we're talking about here. And he says here that neither I nor my brothers ate food allotted to the governor. There were a lot of perks given to the governor, and Nehemiah said, I don't want any. That puts more stress on the back of the common people, and they're struggling enough, so nothing for me. The earlier governors, however, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver and a lot of food and wine, and even their assistants lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Talk about living for an audience of one. Out of reverence for God, I wasn't going to put more stress and pressure on the back. And then he goes on to say, I fed a bunch of people. I didn't take any of the perks. Uh, I made it easier on the people. Uh, I wanted to be a blessing. And then verse 19, he says, Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. You know, I read that verse, that final verse, verse 19, and I think to myself, this is a guy that did live for an audience of one. He wasn't trying to impress all sorts of people. He's trying to impress one. And boy, if, 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 if me, you, all of us could understand what that means, how much more effective and impactful and how much bigger blessing we would be to so many other people if we could focus on Jesus and honoring him and bringing glory to him, living for an audience of one. Powerful story. What am I doing without so that others can have? That's a question I often ask myself. Where am I sacrificing? When we talk about sacrificing, it always impacts our three greatest resources. Time, energy, are you ready for it? Wait for it. Money. Always. Where am I sacrificing time to be a blessing? Where am I sacrificing energy to be a blessing? Where am I sacrificing money to be a blessing? Sacrifice is a spiritual discipline. Sacrificing helps us grow. Sacrificing to bless others refocuses us off self and onto other people. Ask yourself often, on an ongoing basis, what, where, how am I sacrificing so that others can be blessed? I was thinking about this as I was uh, celebrating the great work of our uh, team that just got back from Sumba, Indonesia. 
And we've been traveling there since 2015, and uh, just really grateful for the, the great team. By the way, people that travel take vacation time, talk about sacrifice, you know, pay their own money uh, to go, and, uh, you know, are just a huge blessing that way. And then we as a church family, for years and years, have been sending teams around the world. And so, uh, you know, we re- raise money, we give, we pray. Uh, it's always a church uh, adventure when we go. So all of you just got back from Sumba. How's your jet lag? Everybody doing Okay. Uh, but by praying and giving and uh, supporting those that went. Here's just a brief uh, minute-long video to kind of recap it. Let's take a look as we think of how we can serve others. Let's take a look together. Go ahead and play that video. This is Adam reporting from the roof. We're making great progress. It's beautiful. We're so excited to get this thing built. This crew is amazing. That's awesome. Let me just say a couple more words and then we're going to close. You know, as a church family, we talk a lot about sacrificing and serving others. That's what it means to live, love, lead like Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's many ways for us to do that. I was just thinking of this team right here that just came back that kind of symbolic of this whole idea. And I want to kind of close with this illustration. You know, uh, uh, you know, our medical team served, you saw there, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of people. A thousand people was listed. And, uh, you know, we take for granted some of the medical advances that we experience here. But you travel around the world just a little bit and you realize it's not that way everywhere. Not even kind of. And to be able to be a small blessing in that way is so important. You're giving, you're praying, and some of you going help make that a reality. Construction is something that uh, is on our heart, and to be able to help build the new church in Wangapu that's been a dream since 2015 is just amazing, and we're so grateful for that. To work with children, to share the love of Jesus, and uh, to teach them and train them and work with their own leaders and do uh, teacher training and all those kinds of things is just, just invaluable. Uh, in 2015, when we first went back there, we, we talked about wouldn't it be great one day to build a brand new church in Wangapu and uh, here you see Pastor Adam, Pastor Pete, with Pastor Weary, who's the pastor of this church. Eight years ago, we were in his small little church, and now today he's in a brand new church. Isn't that exciting? Eight years. Eight years it took to bring that about. And uh, we we're just thrilled to be able to be a part of that, and that church is going to just be uh, uh, such a blessing. In fact, I think the next picture might have a lot of people in it right there. Do you have it? What's the next picture there? 
Uh, there you go. That's a kind of a cool uh, view of that. So we're really excited about that. And then our work at the House of Hope, both on the building. Uh, you as a church family have sponsored kids at the House of Hope since 2015 when we first came back. Just trying to help make a way for these kids to see a viable future ahead. Doug Hollis founded the House of Hope. And uh, we have a picture of Doug. To me, he's kind of a the Mother Teresa of Sumba. I know that seems like an overstatement, but Doug was a special man. Um, he committed his life to a life of service and missionary work, never got married. Uh, his family were these kids at the House of Hope. And I remember when we first went there, he said, Rob, join us in trying to reach an island in a generation. And we were love-struck by the opportunity to minister to those people in the most faraway, remote place you could imagine. And we have been since 2015. And uh, sponsoring kids and working, uh, you know, with Doug, who now has passed away. Doug's in heaven and uh, rejoicing there. And the work continues. And we want to continue to be of that great, great work. Service, sacrifice, surrender. How can we get our minds off ourselves and refocus on others. As I read through the story of Nehemiah, I'm going rebuild wall, rebuild wall, rebuild wall, rebuild wall, rebuild wall, all the problems with rebuilding the wall. Wait a second. In verse five, everything stops. And he focuses on the desperate needs of those around him. And I want to challenge all of us as we go through life with our struggles and challenges, and they're real, I do not minimize them at all. Don't mishear me. But at some point along the way, we must refocus. If we're to live, love, and lead like Jesus, we must refocus on others because that is what it means to be Christian. And Nehemiah, I think, paints a beautiful picture. So set aside the principle of willful choice. I set aside my agenda. Let's jump to that next slide. Get involved, the principle of proactive engagement, and give away the principle of selfless giving. A closing visual, and then I'm going to pray. We've all thrown a stone in the middle of a pond, and we've seen the ripple effect. We've seen those concentric circles that go out from where the, uh, the stone landed. And I want you just to think about it from your own life. What ripple effect is your life having on the lives of others? I think about that with regard to our own church. What ripple effect are we having throughout our community, throughout our country, and throughout the world? Ripple effect. Outward focused. How can we become outward focused living believers? What can I do? How can I live my life in such a way that I can bless others in the greatest possible way. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together here today and bask in the presence of the Lord, fellowship with fellow believers, and focus, Lord, on the teaching that we get from Nehemiah. Uh, going through regret is common. Trials, troubles, problems, predicaments are a real part of life. But Lord, we want strength to heal and grow through those. And we want to get to a point, Lord, where we can begin again to focus on the needs of people around us, to care for the needs of others around us. And that's our prayer. Help us, Lord, in that regard. With every eye 
uh, closed, every head bowed uh, in the chapel here in the main worship center and those online as well. How many would just raise your hand and say, Pastor Rob, I'm going through some really tough times, some regretful things, some painful, traumatic things. I just need prayer. just need prayer for God to help me through this particular season. If that's you, just lift your hand. Hold it high for a moment. I'm going through some really hard stuff right now. Yeah, lots of hands, as I would imagine, for sure. God bless you, friends. God sees your hand. He knows your need. He wants to help you. He, he loves you more than you'll ever know. Lord, I just pray you'll wrap your arms of love around each and every one of these dear friends. Comfort them and strengthen them and bring healing and wholeness and, and clarity and a conclusion, God, to whatever difficult thing they may be going through. And, and then, Lord, help move us all forward. God, in, in our own lives, we just take inventory right now and ask the question that really today's message asks of us, and that is, how can I, where can I, to whom can I refocus my life so that I can be a blessing to others? Lord, we commit ourselves as a church family, as an individual Christ followers, to be outward-centered, outward-focused people as a church and as individuals. May we show the compassion and empathy of Christ. May we live, love, lead like Jesus in a way that impacts people profoundly. Friend, if you're here today and you have not yet committed your life to Christ, or maybe you did in the past and kind of drifted away from it, may I encourage you today to commit your life to Christ, either for the first time or recommit your life. And if you do, tell me about it. Take that connection card in front of you for those listening online. It's right there in front of you online. But just pray a prayer of recommitment and then tell me about it. I want to be praying for you. Pray something like this, Jesus, I commit my life to you. I want to follow you. I want to live, love, lead like Jesus. I don't want to live just for myself. I want to live for others. I want to be a blessing to others. God, I pray your blessing for each and every one in this place here today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. If you'd like special prayer, if you'd like to stand in for someone that you know that needs special prayer, we invite you to come. Uh, we just so appreciate you being here today. Uh, may God richly, richly bless you. Uh, you are dismissed. Have a great day. Have a great Thanksgiving week. And thank you so much for coming, everybody. God bless you.